You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Tonight's a special night in so many ways, but tonight we are going to finish up in Joshua. Now, I know you're thinking, hey, whoa, 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 hey, we're just in chapter 10. Uh, it goes to chapter 24. How are you going to do that? <laughs> it's going to be a big evening, and I hope you're ready for it. Now, we're, we're actually going to... Um, we're actually going to take a uh, finish off in chapter chapter ten, and when the what we're going to have a look at it a little bit tonight is the anatomy of battle. The anatomy of battle, but critical to to any battle is leadership. And then we're going to actually switch over to a to a little bit of a new series. We'll try and squeeze in as much as we can um, before Christmas and Advent, and we'll um, we'll jump into something. I'll tell you a little bit about it later. Um, but we'll look at the anatomy of a leader. But I wanted, wanted to talk to you about um, uh, the anatomy of a battle today and, and picking up a little bit on Joshua and the Israelites as they, they go to defend the Gibeonites against the Amorites. That's a lot, that's a lot of mites, isn't it? Um, but let's pray and just ask for the Lord's blessing upon um, his word this morning and all that we're going to have a look at. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are here present amongst us, and we do thank you for your word. Um, it, it is an amazing book. Again and again and again, we open it, we read from it, and you speak to us, and oh, how we need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, come, I pray, once more. And, and tonight, as we are gathered here, here we are, two or three people, excited because we believe in your promise that you, you are here in our midst in a special way. That's why we're here. It's because of you. We've just been singing your praises and, and been led beautifully and just exalting your name. You are lovely. You are wonderful. We don't have the language for it. But we love you, God. We really do. And we love your word, and we're just so thankful. It, it, is, it is filled with life-giving words. So now come and speak those words to us, we pray, in your name. Amen. It was a while ago, but many well, years ago, I, I did tell this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but I was only in the police force for, I don't know, three, four years. I only have so many stories. Um, but um, on one occasion, I was attached to the Melbourne District Traffic and Patrol Division. Uh, we called it City Traffic because the other one was really difficult to say. And we were basically, if you look at old postcards of Melbourne, you'll see in all of the major intersections, uh, um, police in blue tunics with big white gloves. It was a bit of a, actually a bit of a tourist attraction. In fact, I understand that the most um, notable, notable pictures of police were the Canadian Mountie and the Melbourne District Traffic and Patrol Division Police. Did you know that? We were once famous, not anymore. Anyway. On a particular day, there was a demonstration. Whenever there was a big demonstration in the city, uh, we were called um, en masse to go and be in attendance. However, there was only 12 of us appointed to this one because it was the, well, it was the local cinema ushers. The local cinema ushers decided that they weren't being paid enough. And we kind of figured cinema ushers, these are really polite people, like, oh, please, let me show you to your seat. How bad could the demonstration get, right? And so there we were in, in the middle of uh, Burke Street between Swanston and Russell, and, and, uh, and, and basically there was a small gathering of cinema ushers, and then all of a sudden, what we had not taken into account 
was that another union, the Builders Laborers Federation, had an affinity with cinema ushers. We, we didn't see the connection whatsoever. But any, any reason to leave the job site, and uh, suddenly um, the, the street was filled with thousands, thousands of people. They had a, had a car parked in the, in the middle of it, and, and basically with a megaphone, they were trying to, to incite a riot amongst this crowd, and things were getting pretty, pretty bad. And I remember at that time looking at this thin blue line of, of police, about 12 of us at all, just protecting the, the theater. And, and they were talking about storming the steps of the cinema and, and, uh, and taking down that thin blue line. And, and onto the scene stepped an inspector. And I actually don't know his real name. His nickname was Inspector Tiny. He stood about six foot five. And I recall this moment where he was just walking along the back and he was saying, whatever happens in a moment, stand your ground. And he just, he just walked along the back just whispering that to us, whatever happens, stand your ground. And I was thinking, you know, as I stood there in, in a protective position, I sort of think, well, that's easy. You're back there, you know, <laughs> got to stand your ground. But then he did the most remarkable thing. And I had the utmost of respect for him from this point on. He actually then came around to the front and he walked in front of this thin blue line of police. He walked right up to the, to the steps and he took out the baton. Now, the batons in those days were, they were these small rubber things, which we used to say just turned a bad man into an angry one. Um, you know, it was kind of just a little bit of a plod. You know, it, was, it wasn't much, but, but he used it to great effect. He brought it out, it had a little rope on it, and he swung it around in his hand and then he just started to smack it into his left hand, and he eyeballed everyone in that front row. And it was if this to say, there were no words, but the look said it all, all right, who's going to be first? And you know what? There was no first that day. <laughs> there was no one. There was no one in that crowd who wanted to take on Inspector Tiny. And unfortunately, um, being, a, being a builder's union, they were not able to collaborate enough to work out that the, you know, probably 3,000 of us could take him on. They didn't work that out. But there was no one who would take on Inspector Tiny, and, and eventually it all came to nothing. Uh, the crowd disassembled, and, and I remember thinking, wow, that is, that is excellent, excellent leadership. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about a, a battle that Joshua and the Israelites face. And, and I say the anatomy of a battle because there are some hints here for life. Christian walk, even Christian ministry, is a, is a battle. We face it, we face it often. Um, uh, we get to here on a Sunday, Sunday evening, but I've already been here a few days earlier. Usually, probably in a given week, it's around Thursday. Um, and it's a part of leadership is you know where you are going to take people, so you go there yourself. So before we gather here on a Sunday, I don't physically mean, you know, here, just to check that the building's here. But in terms of scripture, in terms of where is God taking us as a people, I'm usually studying and, and looking at, okay, where is it, God, that you want us to go? And sometimes I do feel a little bit like there is a something, and it's the nature of leadership, but something of a battleground that we are going to be in. Did you know that this is a battleground right here? You thought, no, no, that's a church, Stuart. Yes, but it is also a battleground. There is a spiritual battle that is that you actually faced it before you got here, but the fact that you're here means you've been victorious, but you've already been hearing little whispers and so forth. Oh, not tonight, don't worry about tonight. Um, little little, little uh, 
Whispers such as, what a beautiful day it's been. Why don't you just stay out, hang out with some friends? A little bit of, uh, listen, you've been, you've been to church every, every month this Sunday. Why, why this time? There's be a, be a joke about a, about a chap who's still in bed one Sunday morning and, and yells out to his wife, I don't want to go to church. And his wife says, come on, get out of bed. We're running late. You have to. We have to. We'd, remember, we decided to do this. We're going to do it together. Yeah. They don't like me, and I don't like them, and it's always so boring. And the wife replies, all that might be true, but you're still the pastor, and we have to go. <laughs> you know, um, that little battle, you know what, that, that always goes on. Because your enemy loves to isolate you. He loves to isolate all of us. The fact that you're here, you've already been victorious in part of it. But, but this is a battleground right here, right now. There are distractions. You have a busy head. You have a busy mind. There are, there are things in the coming week, and even mentioning this, the evil one will be triggering things in your mind. It is a battle to concentrate. We have to work hard to hear from God. Now, praise God, His, His Spirit is actually helping us in this task. But this is a battlefield, and, and it is not easy. Chip Kirk, who was with us a, a couple of years ago, said, you know, life makes so much more sense when we, as Christians, realize this is not a playground. It's a battleground. Honestly, it makes so much more sense of the opposition that you and I face day to day. And ministry is like that sometimes. I find that sometimes prior to a Sunday, the, the battle is fierce. Uh, the best way I can put it, it is like a, like a thick fog can descend upon you. All of a sudden, everything that, that used to make sense and, and used to be clear doesn't. It's like fiery darts are coming out from nowhere, and, and it's a matter of standing firm. Uh, it, it's, it, what helps me understand Ephesians 6, this remarkable passage, some people think when the Apostle Paul was jailed and he was under house arrest, that maybe he looked at a Roman soldier and got his inspiration about the armor of God from that. Let me read it to you again. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the battle is. So Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. He talks about having the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then this little plea, especially for me. You know, was it the fact that, that they're under house arrest Sure, Paul had the inspiration of a Roman soldier in front of him, but inspired by the Spirit of God, was it also just the fact that he felt the thickness, the density of that fog descending upon him, which tends to isolate leaders and, and make them feel um, disoriented at times. We can all feel it. We can all feel it. The Christian walk is a battlefield. It really is. And we need to understand the nature of that battle. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit from, from this Joshua, this passage in Joshua chapter 10 about the anatomy of a battle. Let's dissect it a little bit and, and have a look at it. We pick it up in verse 6. 
the Gibeonites. Now, I'm not going to review like I often, often do because of time, but in verse 6, the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of, at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants, he says. Come to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now, this was very smart. The Gibeonites realized something, and it's listed here. It's the Amorite kings are their enemy. Sure, they could have been focused on the battle, but to be focused on the battle and not your enemy is like a, a fish who thinks his biggest problem is the hook, not the unseen fisherman on shore reeling him in. Satan loves to have us focused on the battle. He will help you or he will have you focus on your circumstances, the, the difficulties in your life that you are enduring at a given time because while you're focused on them, you will forget who your real enemy is and you will try and do it often in your own strength and in your own power, but not by the Spirit of God. You'll forget that your real enemy is, is Satan. Our enemy likes to hide he likes to keep you focused on the battle. But the problem isn't the battle. The problem is the enemy. Now, here's the thing. Your enemy is God's enemy, and God's enemy is defeated. And if you know that, you can stand in that victory. But when you're not thinking about that, when you're just focused on the battle, guess what? You're not fighting. And it's very, very easy to be overwhelmed and overcome. The Gibeonites understood this. Who are they surrounded by? The Amorite kings. But who are the Amorite kings? They're Israel's enemy. And Israel's enemy is God's enemy. So they, they put out a plea for help, a cry to help. Help us, come and please. We're surrounded by the Amorite kings. Who, by the way, is your enemy? Who, by the way, is God's enemy? So help Israel. They understood that, of course. The Amorite kings, if they take Gibeon, then next they'll be emboldened by that and they will come for us. So, yes, of course we will help you. The Amorite kings are your enemy, but they're also our enemy. They're God's enemy. We, we know this actually from chapter, chapter 11. And here is a, an interesting verse, chapter 11, verse 20, about the sovereignty of God. And yes, there is much mystery in the sovereignty of God. But let me read this to you. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts. These are the Amorites and, and all of the people um, of the promised the land that was promised to the Israelites, hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that he might destroy them and totally exter totally exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And Joshua is commended for fulfilling and doing all that God wanted him to do. The point is here that Israel's enemy were also God's enemy. Your enemy is God's enemy, and God's enemy is defeated. Um, so Joshua marched up. We, we see this in, in verse 8. In verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid. March up. Go. Yes, get involved in this battle. Go for it. Do not be afraid, for I have given them into your hands. You see, when it's the Lord's battle, we have no need to fear. When we understand that, that the battle that we face, the difficulties that we face, whatever that might be, whatever your greatest fear is, it might be an unmended relationship. It might be financial ruin. It might be, it might be so many different things, so many things that you battle and you think, I just can't seem to overcome this. I've gone around and around and around and around this problem, but no, I am not overcoming it. While you're focused on the battle, you will go around and around. 
you will not experience victory. But when you understand, this is not about the battle. This is about my enemy. My enemy is God's enemy. God's enemy is defeated. All of a sudden, we understand that we are already standing in victory. We have nothing to be afraid of. Think about that. Think about the thing that you fear most. Fear is an irrational thing. You fear it for the wrong reasons. You have nothing to fear. Why? Because that battle belongs to God. Your real enemy is God's enemy, and that enemy is defeated. When it comes to life's battles, you can be sure of victory because God has already defeated your number one enemy. Then at verse 9, we see, a, we see an odd thing. They're to march up to, to help defend the Gibeonites. And after an all-night march from Gigal, Joshua took them by surprise. Now, humanly speaking, this would not be the way you do it. You've got a sleep-deprived army who have marched all the way through the night, and now you say, <gasps> surprise! You know, that, that's kind of not a good strategy. But here's the thing. Again, as we dissect the nature of spiritual battle. This is not about human strategy. Not at all. But it's about the grace of God. It is about the grace of God, not human strategy. That's how we prevail in this particular battle. I remember way, way back on the 11th of November, the 11th of the 11th of 2011. Very easy date to remember. I remember sitting in, in, a, in a law firm in Blackburn totally amazed at what God had done. I shared this story or a lot of this story at our last EBC meeting. But a very interesting thing had happened. Um, we were without a home as a church and we'd been, we'd been meeting at this particular property. Uh, but it was about to, it was about to be um, given by, by a liquidator to, to another denomination. But that denomination met with us in those legal offices and they came into our office and virtually gave it to us. We just had to cover their costs, their significant costs, but, but as a church, by selling our mants, we were able to, able to do that, able to cover their costs, plus a small gift towards that denomination, and we were able to purchase this place outright. It was incredible. How did God do that? Well, what had happened before that was we'd been invited to utilize a human strategy. The liquidator had, liquidator had actually rung us up and he had actually said, you guys actually have a chance. If you, will, if you will grab this opportunity, you have a chance at having this property. You need to lawyer up. That's the human strategy. We've been blessed over many, many years to be guided and led by a great church council. And the configuration of the church council at that time I believe was good godly leadership and prayerfully they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to lure you up. That's not, the way, that's not the way we're to do it. And so they refused that offer. I, I had a number of phone calls from the liquidator. Come on, you guys have a chance at this. Lawyer up and you can probably have it. We kept saying, thinking, no, we're not going to do that. And one day in a, as the whole deal has been virtually rubber stamped in the Supreme Court of Victoria, the Supreme Court Justice happened to be flicking, flicking through the papers. And he noticed something right at the end. He said, oh, there's a church already meeting there, Eltham Baptist. Who is this church? How come I haven't heard anything about it? 
and he happened to be doing you know, good due diligence. He started to inquire, who is this church? What's the story here? I want to know more about them. And because of that, do you know what? We were able to write a letter and just say, well, this is who we are. And God virtually gifted through the churches of Christ this property to us. It's a remarkable story. Later on, I'd learn the name of that judge. It was actually that judge. Um, when I had uh, left the police force, I've never told anyone this before. When I'd left the police force and headed off to Bible college, I had one last case. It was a beauty. There was about 20 charges. Um, the, the particular person was as corrupt as could be. But I was no longer in the police force to kind of make sure that, that, that everything was in place when it went to the county court. And I was now at Bible college, and I remember in the county court, the whole case got thrown out. And I was so devastated. I was just thinking, I cannot believe it. There is no justice. I cannot believe it. Do you know the judge that threw it out? It was the same judge that would later stamp this property and say this is this is to go to Eltham Baptist Church or to or to instruct the liquidator to to strike a deal. God is so good. God is so good. But it is not by human strategy, but it is by the grace of God that he accomplishes his purposes. That's how we prevail in battle. And that was God's part in what was going on here. And then we read this remarkable this remarkable little part and and for, for those of you who have studied physics and the natural order of things, I know this does your head in. How can the sun stand still? And what are the ramifications for that? How does God suspend the natural order of things or part of? Well, in verse 12, we read that Joshua says to the Lord, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped to the nation avenged itself on its enemies. You see, Israel and Joshua, they had an obstacle. And the obstacle was this. They were running out of daylight hours. God was acting on their behalf and doing a remarkable work. But the day wasn't long enough. And, well, if it, if it turned to night, in the, in, the, in the cover of night, many of the enemies would go back to the fortified cities. And this job would become even more difficult. But not only that, I didn't mention this this morning, but here's a treat for you for coming out tonight. There was something else going on here too. The Amorites had this little deal. Good mathematicians, they, they loved to measure when the sun came up and when the sun went down. And by this, they would, they would work out you know, the, the days of the month and how the months would fit into the seasons. It was, it was something they watched very, very carefully. But there was an element of superstition here as well. If there was any anomaly, like an eclipse or anything like that, if there was any anomaly, they felt that there was some sort of an omen. So here's the deal. Joshua says, sun stand still. And what have they got? They've got more daylight hours for which to, to continue the Lord's battle. But on top of that, all of a sudden, the morale is going to an all-time low because it's a bad omen. All of those involved in the battle are suddenly thinking, oh, how is it? What does this mean? The sun is standing still. The day is not measured like normally it would be. Surely we are going to be defeated. And so morale was, was totally lost. And we have some writings about the omens of the Amorites and, and how that all looked. But here is the remarkable thing. Not that the sun stood still, 
that was God helping them over the obstacle, which was time. They didn't have enough time. Sure, God was helping them, but, but verse, verse 14 says this, there has never been a day like it. Like what? Like, like, like a day where the sun stands still? No, that's remarkable. But what's more remarkable is this, there has never been a day like it, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. That's interesting, isn't it? You and I might think the sun standing still is a pretty big deal. And that doesn't happen every day. But that is not what is notable about this battle. What is notable, yes, the sun stood still, but there's never been a day like this where God has listened to a human who commanded the sun to stand still. Wow. You and I live in a day where we belong to the Lord and we can come to him with our requests and he hears us. He hears us today as we cry out to him. And there's a never, never been a day like it. And then we have another day like that tomorrow. Every day is a day like we've never seen before where God is attentive to your cry, where God knows about your battle. He sees you in battle. He hears your cry and he listens to a human being. Every day in the kingdom of God is like that. No, there's never been a day like it before and tomorrow will be the same. God hears your plea. He sees your battle. He knows what your biggest obstacle is. He listens to you. He listens to his children and he does that day after day after day so that every day you can say, there's never been a day like it. My God hears me. My God sees me. My God knows about my battle. There's never been a day like it. And do you, do you know what? Tomorrow will be the same. That's what battle is like in the kingdom of God. He hears you. He sees you. And he listens. Not only that, but we have this wonderful promise, and you may have think that I skipped over it, but the Lord is fighting for you as well. We read in verse 10, the Lord threw them into confusion. Here is God active and participating in the battle. We read in verse 11, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. So what Israel couldn't cover, God covered himself. Now that that's not a pretty thought, and it's, it, it is horrendous. The whole thing is horrendous. But these are people who meant evil. These are people who were coming to attack the Gibeonites, and in their sights next was Israel. And God was here defending them and helping them in battle. God himself entering into the battle, and he does that for you and for I as well. He sees your battle. He knows about your battle. He wants to remind you tonight don't worry about the battle. Remember, your enemy is my enemy, and that enemy is defeated. Now, here I am. I see you. I hear you. I am actually working with you in this battle. And I am answering your cry for help. I'm here with you. This was, this was so huge in the life of Israel. This was so massive. This was to always be remembered. They actually wrote a song about it. You can almost miss it. 
but you can see it right there at the end of verse 13, as it is written in the book of Jasha. And you, most of you are thinking, oh, Jasha, I don't remember that one. You flick at what, what, what book is that? Well, we actually don't have the book of Jasha. You think, who is Jasha? Well, it's not a person, but Jasha means the upright or the righteous. There's another reference in 2 Samuel 1, 19 to 27. Uh, in that instance, David is lamenting that Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle. That also is recorded in the book of Jasha. And it seems that this is a book for the righteous or the book of the upright, but it's like a book of psalms or a book of hymns, a book of praises. And in fact, it was used, it seems, to, to train the armies. The armies of Israel were singing armies. Their training book or their handbook was a songbook. And they would have these, these songs of praise, if you like, these, these hymns of praise for the great things that God has done. And they would recall the great battles. You see, out of the battle, God wants to put a song in your heart. That's what he did here. I don't know how this would sound. Some of you musicians will be able to do something. Sun sends still over gear beyond. But, but it turns into a song. It becomes a song. And if you're wondering why do we have battles in the Christian life and how does God want to use them, he wants to turn that battle into a song. He wants to put a song in your heart. Why? Because he loves to hear you sing? Yes, maybe. But, but also it means that because, because right now you write the song and you sing the song because you're victorious. But tomorrow there's another battle. And when you face that battle, that can be dark. It can be like that thick fog coming after you, you know, coming down upon you, descending upon you. And in that moment when the thick fog comes and you feel disoriented and you feel isolated, what have you got? You've got a song in your heart. You can praise God. You can think back with thanksgiving to the good things that God has done. He has helped me overcome this and he helped me overcome this. And he was... He helped me be victorious in battle here. And he's defeated my enemy, my real enemy, who is God's enemy. And God has always put a song in my heart. And that's why, even though I don't quite see how this battle is going to work out, here's a song in my heart, and I'm going to sing praise to my God. And already, you know what? Your enemy will stand defeated. So here is all of Israel, and they know this song. The song of the time the sun stood still over Gibeon. And they get to sing it. And they get to praise God. And they get to relive the victory. God wants to use your life's battle to put a song in your heart. A song that will keep you going through the dark times. And a song that will be a blessing to others as well. I said to the morning congregation, and I'll say it to you as well. I would love for you, this week's homework, this project. I mean, what is a sermon without homework, right? I had to do it before this. So here's your homework. Write a song this week. I want you to write a song. Now, for some of you who are thinking, oh, I'm not very good at that. I can't even make my words rhyme on time like lime. You know, it's, no, I'm not that kind of a person. That's okay. I, I will settle for a journal entry. You'll still get a pass, okay? But I'd love you, this week, think about the good things God has done. Maybe you're young, but you've still got victory stories, haven't you? You've got something that you can write about. Make a journal entry, write a song, write a poem, but record those victories that God has given you in life. There's your homework. Turn it into a praise point, a, a song of thanksgiving. 
Not only because God deserves it and it will bring Him glory, but it's going to be something that you can hide in your heart and you can bring out during the tough times. Reread that journal entry. Sing that song. I can't tell you. I, I love when we go on holidays. We're kind of a coastal family. We love water. We love swimming. But I love at some point or another getting out onto the beach by myself and just going for a long, long walk until I'm thoroughly lost from civilization. And there I can sing my songs. And I love, most of the songs are, are songs that we sing together too. I'm not that creative. But I do, I love to walk along the beach on a starry night and sing praises to God. It feeds my soul and it will feed yours as well. God has given you victories in your life and those, those victories are to become songs, songs of praise that, that you can sing in the difficult times. Out of the battle will come a song, a song to hide in your heart. And there we leave at this particular juncture, almost, we leave Joshua. Where are we going? Here's an interesting thing. And again, chapter 10. Now, this will make some of you cringe a little bit. I don't know. Sometimes battles get icky. But in chapter 10, they've captured the Amorites and they've got five kings. They actually stored them in a cave while they continued the battle. Then they brought them out of storage. And now they lay them on the ground, and I'll give you the PG version. But, but God, God calls the army commanders over, and he says, I want you, to, want you to put your foot on their neck. And here's the reassurance. As they do this, it's like making your enemy your footstool. As they do this, in verse 25, Joshua says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Have you ever heard that before? That's what God, of course, said to Joshua. And now here is a Joshua who's, he's aging a little bit, you know? He's getting on in years. But what is he doing here? He's raising up another generation. And he, he brings out the army commanders and he says, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies that you were going to fight. Can you imagine? Now, no, don't imagine. That would be bad. But can you think what it might be like to imagine having your foot on the neck of your enemy? <laughs> Knowing that that enemy is subdued and about to be crushed. Now, your enemy, remember, is God's enemy. And God has already done this for you. But why do I bring out that rather morbid little verse to close on because of this in any battle there are leaders and God needs leadership here we see just a glimpse of Joshua raising up the next generation of leadership we've just looked at the anatomy of battle but now we're going to shift and we're going to look at a different book of the Bible and we're going to look at an anatomy of leadership we're going to go to 1 Samuel where King David gives us a lot of material to work with. And by the way, he loved to put victories into song. There's lots of songs come from David. Might even get Graham on the harp and we can sing them together. But King David gives us a, a rare and a pretty amazing glimpse of leadership. And 
I have a sense here at EBC, as we look towards 2018, as we look at planting a campus, as we look at what God is doing in our midst, this is a time for us to raise up new leadership. That's what we need to do. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.